to talk about the marriage amendment. But not just talk about the marriage amendment, to talk about marriage. Um, the definition of marriage from the Bible, uh, this is a question that is coming to our state in which the legislators have given it to the people uh, to make a decision regarding marriage and how it's to be defined, who defines it. Um, and uh, that's a very important decision coming May 8th. Um, and so I want you to be aware of this. You are probably already engaging in conversations about this. I uh, want you to uh, have some uh, reinforcement, so to speak, of how to talk about this. Uh, certainly it's one thing to talk about it from the biblical perspective, but when you're talking to people who do not believe in the Bible, how do you do that? Uh, what are some things to say uh, to bring out uh, to our neighbors, relatives, uh, co-workers in regard to the definition of marriage? And just so you know, I do believe that marriage has been defined already, defined by God, um, as one man, one woman, when Jesus was ever asked about marriage, about the roles and permanence, he always went back to Genesis 2. I think that we are following a good example when we follow Jesus uh, and how he did it. Let's go back to Genesis 2. Um, and why do we want to define marriage in any other way than it has already been defined? Um, and so, just so you know, we'll be doing that beginning this Wednesday for the next three Wednesdays in the month of March. Before that is an even more important thing, and that is our church praying together uh, from uh, 6, 6 o'clock to 6.30 is corporate prayer together. And I'm just going to share as far as the marriage amendment goes, as far as our church goes, as far as our community goes, it is determined by nothing else and people praying for God's work. That's just it. If God is doing little work among us, through us, it's because there's little people asking God to do it. And so, as important as you may be thinking, I'd like to learn about the marriage amendment, how to talk about this even more important is prayer. And so we will continue in prayer from 6 to 6.30. If you are not involved in responsibility in that time, we ask for the sake of our church, for the sake of our community, for the sake of God's working, that you be here uh, as we pray. Um, now, with that thought in mind, I've been talking with some other pastors. We're looking in the, in the month of April, and we'll let you know as we get it uh, pinpointed where we'll have community prayer with several churches, and especially in regards to the marriage issue. But uh, we'll do that for the month of March. The community prayers will be in the month of April. Um, but uh, at the end of March, uh, I have my dad coming, and he's going to be sharing uh, meetings of revival in our church body. Um, I've asked him to talk about sharing the gospel, broadcasting. And, and one simple reason is I, I know no greater evangelist than my dad. Um, not only from the pulpit, but I've just happened to be one of those uh, fellows who got to hang out with Dad uh, in the everyday, and I saw in the everyday him sharing the gospel, uh, talking to people. I, I don't know if you know what it's like to grow up uh, in a pastor's home. Some of you do. Most of you do not. Um, but one of the things that happened with my dad is that as we would go out on vacation and just grocery store, I knew that if anybody started talking to my dad about any length whatsoever, I mean, more than just your high, then it was fair game. Dad saw that as divine uh, appointment to share the gospel. And I'm telling you, that's not a bad philosophy. But when you're 9, 10, 12, and you're not a believer, it's not so exciting. Um, I didn't get to know Christ as my Savior and Lord uh, till I was uh, 13, 1989. And um, until then, I knew how to act like a Christian. I even shared the gospel before I was a believer. I knew how to do that. I was taught how to do that, and I did it. Um, and it didn't change my heart, though. God 
for me, God is saving me from hypocrisy. Um, that's, that's the lessons for me that God's taken me down this journey of, of figuring this out. Um, but when I'm 12, 13, even before becoming a believer, I was full hypocrite mode, which meant that it was okay at church, but when you're out in the community, no, don't bring up Christ. That's just not something you want. But here Dad was. You know, someone's coming up, and they're talking about the weather. And then Dad says, you know, God has given us a great day. And I thought, oh, no. He's going down the road. And before long, he starts asking questions. Do you know Jesus as your Savior, Lord? And I'm just mortified. But I'm going to tell you, the embarrassments of a 13-year-old unbeliever became the glory of a 37-year-old follower of Christ. And so when I'm talking about broadcasting love out loud, I, I honestly, I can't bring someone better uh, to you than my dad, someone who's made a difference in my life and exposing me to what it means to talk about the Lord in a public place in the everyday and so that will be last week of March. I think March 25th, if I've got my dates correct. Uh, that's Sunday through Wednesday. And uh, I'd love for you to uh, take that time out um, to hear it uh, and hear someone who is legitimate. He's not just putting on a show, but this is who he is uh, in sharing the gospel and believing the word of God. And that brings us to our text this morning in John chapter 9. We're finishing up John 9. As we've looked at this thing of broadcasting love out loud, this is kind of the summary where Jesus, actually we, we learn in this passage, this whole thing of healing a blind man, which was unheard of before Jesus came on the scene. Someone born blind. You, you search the Old Testament scriptures, you just don't see a prophet doing that. Jesus does that, but he's doing it not only for the benefit of this man, but he's doing it as a metaphor. He's giving them an analogy to say, look, I, I want you to learn this lesson. And he's also doing it for those who are critical of Jesus so that they would know that God's hand is on him and that when they go against him, they're going against God. So, John chapter 9, verse 35 uh, through 41 In honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read this together. John 9, verse 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I come into this world. That those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt but now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. You may be seated. It's been about a month now since we looked at this text, and so maybe a little review is in order here. Um, just so you know, this is in uh, a, a series of teachings that Jesus is doing in this very special festival week of Pentecost, of, of a special holiday, great symbolism in the light, Great symbolism in the water, uh, the Pool of Siloam. He's been nearby, which has a very significant time in this festival. Uh, and at this day and era of the Jews, the Pool of Siloam becomes a place where water is brought out uh, and poured out as part of the worship. And, uh, and, and so there's great significance in John 7 when he says, Out of me shall flow rivers of living water. Uh, and he talks about him being the light of the world. In John chapter 8, there's this dialogue, this confrontation that's been going on between the Pharisees and Jesus. Uh, in John chapter 8, verse 12 through 19, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to them, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. In other words, you're making 
uh, too great and grand of a claim for yourself, Jesus. You have surpassed your pay grade. And so Jesus is responding, well, consider the testimony. Verse 14, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I'm coming from or where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Now, the Jews did not respond well to that, but what Jesus is saying is consider God's blessing on me. Consider the Father's work, the signs that he's doing. If you don't believe me because I'm speaking alone, consider the Father's speaking and the signs being done. And so, interesting enough, the next chapter, Jesus heals a man born blind. He gives him, see, here's an example. Believe me. John 8, verse 57 through 59. So the Jews said to them, you're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He is saying, I am the one who approached Moses on the burning bush. And when Moses asked, who is this that's talking to me? He said, I am. Jesus is saying, I'm that same one. Before Abraham was, I am. He is making in no uncertain term, very clear, Jesus is saying, I am God, remember that when Jehovah's Witnesses are knocking on your door, they do not believe that Jesus is God. I had one, and I think I should, I had one try to tell, tell me about that and wanted to bring up Abraham. I said, yeah, you know what? I've learned about Abraham too. And let me tell you about the one who Abraham rejoiced to see. That before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said that. And, they, and, and he said, you mean you, you, you believe that Jesus is, is not a creation? No, I believe he's the creator. And so does Jesus. And so does God the Father. Notice what happens in, their, in this reaction. Verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at them. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The Jews understood. The Pharisees understood what Jesus was saying. That he is God. They wanted to kill him. So, John 9 he comes across a blind man, born a man born blind, begging on the streets, and he tells him simply, "Once you go to the pool of Siloam, puts mud in his his eye and spittle, and puts it in his eye uh, to show that the power is not of the devices, but the power is of God. It doesn't really matter what means he he uses, but sometimes he chooses to use means, and sometimes he doesn't. And so this man goes out and watches his his face. He's obedient. He doesn't know the man, but he's just obedient to the man. He knows is the man called Jesus." And so when he is healed, it causes to create a a scene, an uproar, because it's done on the Sabbath day. Done on the Sabbath day where the Jews, the Pharisees are saying, you know, they believe uh, what the God says in the Old Testament that you should keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And so they started making these logical extensions of what that meant. And so they had this formula that came in and said, all right, we're not going to do this, this, and this. And part of this is, is not to need mud, not to knead dough, certainly not to heal someone. And so Jesus, in kneading dough, or not dough, but mud, and doing it in this form and fashion, flies in the face of the Pharisees and their logical extensions out from the Word of God. And they're upset. They're mad. And they come to Jesus and they, or they come rather to this man and say, tell me about this. And they interrogate this man. And the man is simply saying, hey, you know what? This guy just healed me. Well, who is this guy? I don't know who he is. He's just called Jesus. And then they try to, uh, they, don't, they disbelieve him. They get the parents involved. And the parents are scared of them and say, you know what? We, all we know is he was born blind. And now he can see. I, talk to him. And so they just kind of hold back from it, and they go back to the man. It's just like this controversy that it grows. And as this controversy grows, you see something interesting that happens in this man, that his faith seems to grow with this controversy, this conflict that is occurring. And it becomes plain to the blind man. He's seeing more and more about who this man is. He, he says, you know what? How can you say that this man is a sinner? They're, they're trying to get the formerly blind man to see 
The Pharisees are trying to get him to see their perspective that he is a, he is a bad man. And the formerly blind man says, I just can't see that. How can this happen? And so the Pharisees are growing more and more hard and angry toward this man as well as to Jesus. And so they kick him out. They ostracize him. They say, you are no longer part of the synagogue. Now, you may not understand what that's like, but... I mean, if we had to go through proceedings to kick someone out of the church, I mean, that's, that's hard, isn't it? Scripture has some guidelines for things like that, and we kind of look at that like, well, that never has to happen. That's hard. But even today, if we're kicked out of a church today, you know what happens? Oh, you go to some other church down the road and says, well, I'll just join by a statement of faith. No, don't, no, don't call the other church. Don't do that. We're just joined by statement of faith. And so this whole canopy is lost. And so now it's just maybe the, the, the pain and inconvenience of changing worship locations. But for them, in that day and time, the best thing we can liken it to is, is maybe the 1700s, 1800s of being removed from church life. If you were removed from church life in the 1700s, 1800s of, of America, you were being removed from the community. All right? That's your insurance. Your health insurance, your life insurance, that's your, your help, that's your, your social standing. It's all been removed. And so that's what this man has experienced. And he's kicked out of the synagogue. And they said, we don't want you. And that's where our story picks up. Notice verse 35. I love this. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Because that news is going to spread. That's going around. Jesus hears this. And what does he do? Having found them. What does that imply? He searched for him. He searched for him. Do you understand what joy that causes in my heart? What can be caused in your heart? Is to understand that in our shame, in in our sin, and when people are kicking us out, Jesus is the one who is seeking us out. Do you believe, do you know that if you have come to Christ as your Savior and Lord, that you were first sought by Him? That's what, when I talk about coming out of a, a hypocritical past, I read the, what Jesus had to say about hypocrites. And it's not pretty. It is some of His most choicest words are for hypocrites. And it burns my heart. And I, and I realize that's who I am. Am. That's who I was. Jesus knows that it's about me and he sought me. He is seeking you. And he seeks out this man. And he asks him this question Do you believe in the Son of Man? I want you to just understand, first off, when I see this example by Jesus, it tells me this, and I think it, this is telling us to us as a church mercy ministries are not enough. Mercy ministries are not enough. We must broadcast the gospel. There must be verbal statements, something coming out of our mouth, asking the questions, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in the Son of Man is the word that Jesus uses, a favorite word in John that often described, this is the revelation of God in flesh. Do you believe Him? Some of us often are consoling ourselves and say, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to live the best that I can. I'm going to love people. I'm going to do good. I'm going to be sharing and, and be generous. I'm going to be patient. And I'm going to, by my lifestyle, share the gospel and proclaim the word of God by my lifestyle. And if I have to, I'll use words as, as one of the ancient sayings goes. And, and we, we have that idea. But listen, what did Jesus do? I mean, he, he healed. <laughs> he healed a man. Are you talking about mercy? Mercy ministry? What if as, as a church we are doing uh, the Hodge And I just want to commend you. I, I, I'm going to relay messages from Hodge Road Elementary School. I talked with them yesterday and they just so were appreciative of you going out to uh, the, uh, d- the breakfast yesterday. Those of you who went and they were just very appreciative and wanted me to relay that to you. 
What if we, we do things like that? We, we lift up the school. The school is better for, for us ministering to them. Or the, the Hispanic community is better for us ministering to them. Are the children, are the teenagers, are the senior adults, are you name the age group in our area, they're better for us being here. And one of the things I'm challenging our church with is to make sure that if something happens to our church, let the community mourn our passing. If God calls us up out of this place and goes to be with Him, let someone mourn the fact that we're not here because we're ministering to them. But listen, if that's all we've got, we are still missing it. Because as I've seen, I don't think we've actually caused any blind people to see yet. And that's pretty powerful. We haven't gone to that level yet. But if Jesus, knowing that, fills the need, to seek this person out, to have a verbal conversation and ask him a very pointed question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? How can we tell ourselves that we are living so good that we don't have to do that? <laughs> if you are being successful in sharing the gospel by your lifestyle statement alone, then you've surpassed Jesus. And that's impressive. Jesus, though he is God in flesh and has the lifestyle, the word being fulfilled by his lifestyle, talks to people, asks them pointed questions. And I I just read this passage and it just tells me that we've got to do more than mercy ministries. We must broadcast the the gospel. He asked this simple question, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the former blind man. This man was obedient, was he not? I mean, he went to the pool of Siloam. He did all that Jesus asked him to. But yet he still did not have a transformation of his heart. You may have some degree of obedience in your life. But let me ask you this question. Do you believe in Jesus as the Son of Man? Do you believe Him as your Savior? You, this man had a remarkable experience. I mean, after all, he was healed. Some of you may have remarkable experiences in the past of, of God's mercy and His kindness that He has done. Perhaps there's been a healing in your life. But listen, the question still is being asked. Do you believe that Jesus is your Savior? Do you trust in Him? A good, powerful, spiritual experience is not enough. You may have had dreams and visions. You may have had speaking in tongues. You may have had all these things that people say, Hey, man, that's tremendous. But listen, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you trust Him as your Savior and Lord? Notice this man, Noah, had some degree of obedience. Not only does he... I have a remarkable experience. He has a degree of faith, doesn't he? I mean, as his controversy is growing, he keeps on speaking out, and he's up to the point where he says, you know, this man, uh, this man, he's of God. He's a prophet. And it is, keeps on going up. He has a degree of faith. You may have been like me. I knew, I knew that Jesus was God. I knew that he died on the cross. I knew that he had um, risen from the dead. I knew these things. I did not doubt that Jesus was who he said he was. I did not doubt the accountings of the gospel. And I did not doubt that there was going to be a judgment day. The thing is, I still didn't want Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I didn't want him as my king. You know what I told myself? I'm going to do, keep on doing the good things that people expect of me. But in my heart, when I have opportunity, I'm going to follow all these testimonies I've heard before where they've had these radical changes. I'm just going to go down that road of being crazy and do what I want to do. Maybe someday when I get married, then it makes sense to follow Christ then. That was going on in my head. And that's a scary place to be. But I don't doubt It's the place where some of us may be. They have some degree of faith, but they're not worshiping God. They don't have their hope set on who Jesus is. It doesn't determine their actions and reactions, their attitudes. He had a degree of faith. He had some obedience. He had a a powerful spiritual experience. He even spoke out bravely. He spoke out from Pharisees. He was even persecuted. Like I said, I knew how to share. I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ before I ever 
trusted in Jesus as my Savior and Lord. This man did too. It's not enough. Jesus comes and asks him the question, and he's asking you today, do you believe that Jesus is your Savior? Do you believe that he is God? Do you believe that he is the Son of Man? Do you trust in that? Does that set your future, your hope, your everything? Do you treasure that? And that is what Jesus is getting to, and he's not excusing away because of all the past experiences. Is my faith the faith of works by love? Is my faith the faith that purifies my soul? Broadcasting the gospel has at its core something very fundamental. A question. An invitation. A confrontation. I have found there's two hard points in sharing the gospel. One, turning the conversation from the mundane, acceptable things to talking about the Lord. Once I make that bridge, then I've, the, the, the die has been cast. But then I found there's a second difficult part. Maybe I've shared the gospel. I've, tell, I've shared how God's working in my life. I've shared what God can do, the promises of Jesus Christ. The second hardest point is to say, what do you believe? Having understood everything that I've shared, Can you think of one reason why you would not be willing to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Just to take it to that question. You know why? Because then that's the point of rejection. If they reject here, then they reject me. If they reject here, then there's a point of division in our relationship we may not be able to to escape from. But listen, as I read this, this thing that Jesus is doing here, he is asking the question. We, in broadcasting the gospel, must be asking the question... Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Nightdale as a whole needs to be hearing us ask this question. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that He's your Savior? Do you understand the need? And he answered, verse 36, Who is he, sir? The word sir, interesting enough, is the same word you see in verse 38. Lord. But this is just a complete polite term here in verse 36. And who is he, sir? It's kind of like the word mister. Do you actually know it came from the word master? What we call people master, we call mister. It's kind of, you know, if if I was actually using the full phrase master, we might be saying mister less. Um, Working with Taekwondo, they want us to call him master. and, And I was like, what? What? And then I thought, well, okay, Mr. comes from this. But it, it comes to be a term of respect, and it's the same Hebrew word. The word Lord is the words they're using for one another, Mr. But then it gets filled with a whole new meaning. But notice the question, and who is he, Lord? The question is not who am I, but who are who is the Son of Man? Sometimes we ask ourselves, well, I can't believe unless, I, you know, he needs to know who I am. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your sin, where you come from. It's not the question that matters. The question that matters is, who is Jesus? And that's what the man is asking. Who is this Son of Man that I may believe in Him? That I may believe in Him. Your faith, His faith, depends on knowing who Jesus is. Have you ever had points of doubt in your life? Or you just... I don't know. Is this all true? What if this isn't true? What if what if the Muslims are right? What if what if the atheists are right? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I, I tell you what. Let's do ourselves a favor. Let's raise your hand, and let me be the first to raise my hand. Have you ever asked yourself? Now, don't be ashamed. Keep it up. I want you to look around. Here's what I here's what I want you to get. It's not unusual. This body, individually, we've often asked that question. What if this isn't true? Here's the question. When when those thoughts come, the question we ask ourselves then is, well, who is Jesus? If this isn't true, well, then who is 
Jesus. And we go to the answers that reveal who Jesus is. And I would just point to the resurrection first. If there is no resurrection, how do you explain the existence of Christianity? The whole world was against Jesus being risen from the dead. All society was against Jesus being risen from the dead, except a select few. And all they had to do, when they start breaking this message that is against society, society, all they had to do was prove to them that, no, Jesus did not rise from the dead. Here is the body. Here, let's put it on display. See the mortification that's been done to this body. He is not risen from the dead. All we had to do is kill just a few. Do you not understand there's a lot of folks who claim to be Messiah? When Jesus came on the scene, there's a lot of people. And, and for the Jews who believe there is only one God to come up and say, yeah, Jesus is the one. He is the Messiah. Do you understand how uh, unlikely that was for that to happen? I go back. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Is he who he is? Because it's in knowing who God is that my faith grows. One of the ways, one of the reasons I'm convinced of teaching the scripture and going to you verse by verse is so that you know who Jesus is, that you know who God is. And as you know who God is, you embrace it and your faith grows. That's how faith grows is knowing who God is and operating based on who he is and not what we're afraid of. There's a time, I just love the fact that he asked this question and Jesus answered it. The man has said, you know what, I want to I have faith, just tell me who he is that I may believe. Do you know that in times of doubt you can ask that question, God, I want to believe. I want to have faith here. Help me. There was a time in my life when Julie was in the midst of the surgeries and things that she had a number of years ago. And one of the things about knowing the scriptures is you know so much, but you can't always flesh it out. And I knew, I knew that God was there. I knew that he was good. I knew that he had a plan and that he had a wise plan. And, and I knew that God could do things that I did not like and it would still be acceptable. And as my part as a, as a follower of God, I had to submit. And it had nothing to do with me liking and agreeing with it. I just had to submit to the authority that God's placed in my life. And I, I knew these things. But I couldn't, I couldn't function. It's one thing to know it in your head. It's another thing to know it in your heart. Sometimes they don't always connect. I just prayed, God, you know what I need. You know what my heart needs. I know these things about you, but my heart needs to know them. And Lord, if you don't, if you don't let me know that you know these things, that you're aware, Lord, if, if you don't connect with my heart, I'm still going to trust you. Because you said in Philippians 4.19 that God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. If, if this isn't given to me, then I will just know that it wasn't needed and I will trust you with that. But God, my heart hurts. I want to trust you. I want to have faith in you. That's what this guy's asking. God, I want to believe in you. Tell me who he is. And that was my prayer. God, tell me who he is. And I just saw that it was just that weekend that as I had these questions in my heart, I had someone just sharing a devotion with me. And it was reading from Psalm 55. And in my heart, as I heard Psalm 55 and talking about a bird want to fly away from the troubles, I said, God, I know what that's like. I know what that's like. And then later on in Psalm 55, when he says, cast all your burdens on him, for he cares for you. I I just thank God, because it was God telling my heart, though I knew in my head, that he knows, he is aware, and he's let me know that. Do you know you can ask these questions? God, in this passage, you have this man asking Jesus this question, asking of God, God, Tell me, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? When you want to trust God, God will help you with that. That's a prayer he wants to answer. When you want to trust God. Oh, I've got to go on. Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. you don't forget, he's never seen Jesus. The last thing he heard from Jesus was, here, Put this on his, on his eyes and said, go to the pool of Siloam. And he was blind as he walked away from him. 
He'd never seen Jesus. He might have recognized the voice or something, but he's never seen him. And so Jesus says, it's, it's me. I'm the one who's speaking to you. I am the Son of Man. Do you believe in me? Now listen, as I go to verse 38, this tells me something else. Being affected by the gospel is not enough. Being affected by the gospel is not enough. We must broadcast the gospel. Now, up to this point, this man has been affected by Jesus Christ. He's been affected by the gospel. In fact, the very fact he can see that God's working. But it's not enough for him to just to be affected, to be changed in his life. There must be a broadcasting that's done. And so Jesus sets up this meeting, this confrontation, where, where now he can respond to verse 38. He said, Lord... He just used that same word in verse 36, but now it's filled with a totally different meaning. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Now, I want you to see something. As you skip on down, verse 40, notice the first part. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things. Get what's happening. He's making this declaration. He's broadcasting this this worship in front of Pharisees who already don't like him, who've already kicked him out, who definitely don't like Jesus because they're messing up their, their system. And he, in front of the enemies, so to speak, he says to them, God, you're my God. Now, this is remarkable. It's the only place in John the book of John, where anyone is said to worship Jesus. In verse 33, he recognized that he came from God. In verse 38, he's saying that he is God by his actions. Now, I may come up to you and, and say some good marks about Alan. Alan is a good guy. He's got all kinds of energy. He wants to help people. And you say, okay. I may come up to you and say, well, you know, I, I've been giving some tithes to Alan. You might look at me kind of funny. What do you mean by that? Or what if I said it this way? I've been singing to Alan. <laughs> Alan, you, you should be concerned. <laughs> what if I said, I can't wait to hear from Alan today. Because my hope sits on what Alan says. Or if Alan leaves me, I'm depressed. And kill myself. And I talk about Alan all the time. I have a t shirt. Because Alan is the greatest. We call that stalking. We call that being unbalanced. It's not right. It's not normal. Jesus sees a man worship him and does not refuse. If he is of God at this point, if he is just of God, not God, if he's just of God, then the proper response is to say, hey, you know what? You should only worship God alone. Angels do that, you know. When anybody tries to worship angels, angels say, don't worship me. If he was just of God, that should have been the response. So either he's off the rock, rocket here or he's God. And he lets it happen. He lets it happen. Let me ask you, is Christ precious to you? Are you obedient to Christ? Is holiness sweet and is sin bitter? Do you love his people? Do you love his word? These are things that flow out of a changed heart. You worship God. Your hope is set on him. The thing about TV is that TV just makes it so you're filled with mundane, useless stuff. The barometer of culture is, does it help us worship God? It's the barometer. Culture needs to be redeemed or rejected, one way or the other. But does it help us worship God? This man bows and worships him. We must answer this question sooner rather than later. Who is Jesus? You see, verse 39, 40, 41. 
It brings to me another reason why we must broadcast the gospel. Not because my faith demands it. I've been changed as part of my worship. Not because it's what Jesus himself does. There's something called judgment, and it's pending. Verse 39. For judgment I come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now, we read that passage, and we kind of, we're kind of confused, because in John 3, he said something different. John 3, verse 17, he said, God did not send his Son to the world to judge the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John 12, verse 47, he said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And now in verse 39, John 9, for judgment I came to this world. What? Which one are you doing, Jesus? Are you saving us? Are you judging us? These are not contradictory. He says, my primary purpose is to save the world. That's why I've come, to deliver my body, to be sacrificed for the wrath of God. My primary purpose. But secondary within that will be the inevitable, an inevitable conclusion that some people will reject me. As Simeon said to Jesus that, uh, as a baby, he is destined for the rising and falling of many. As he proclaims who he is, here a blind man comes so he can see, not only physically see, but see who Jesus is. But all the other religious leaders are blind to who Jesus is. All they see is what they have done and their works and their achievements, their, their physical efforts to get right with God, and they get more and more blind to Jesus as the controversy grows. He says, it's inevitable that they will be condemned as they reject me. I think about that. We've taken our cat to visit NC Snap. NC Snap is mobile units that spay and neuter animals. Um, got two, both females. It's fun. In case we were wondering, it became obvious this past week that we need to do something. And so we took the cat to NC Snap. One cat, the other cat was still up in a tree um, <laughs> for five days. He did come down eventually, okay? Um, that's just the cat. He's got that characteristic, evidently. Um, <laughs> kind of question whether I should invest much money in this cat, um, but we took the other cat, and uh, and now the cat's in a litter box. Um, I guess that's the wrong word, carrier. Um, <laughs> those things, those boxes, cages, and he's been in there now. Uh, what we did this Friday, so there's three days: Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and uh, he's 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 not supposed to run. He's not supposed to jump, or she's not supposed to jump. Um, just stay fairly immobile. So I was there. Cat's in the cage. There in our house. Got to stay warm. The cat's meowing. <coughs> just constant. I think, I bet the cat thinks we're torturing that cat. I mean, we got him in a cage. He's going to be in a cage for a while. I mean, he had this horrendous experience, or she had this horrendous experience. Next thing you know, the cat can't walk. It's all groggy. What on earth have my masters done? And the cat's just meowing, meowing, meowing. I can't get in to the cat to help the cat understand. This is really for your good. It's for our good. It's for the good of all of earth not to have more of you. Um, Right? Am, I, am I saying something different there? But that's the message. The cat can't understand that. I'm here to save the cat. But in the cat's mind, I'm torturing it. It's not really the primary purpose. <laughs> Secondary purpose. Primary purpose. Uh, y'all forgive me. <laughs> y'all don't know how I restrain myself when it comes to animals and talking about animals. But... Um, but no, it's not the primary purpose. We're trying to help the cat. This is secondary. Here, Jesus is saying, I've come to save. It's my primary purpose. And, it's going to, and the expense is going to be on him. The sacrifice is going to be on him. But there's going to be a secondary effect. It's going to be a secondary effect. And that is, those who don't see this, who don't understand this, there will be judgment. And it's not the main reason why I'm coming, but I cannot deny, Jesus said, I cannot deny the fact that that's going to happen. Judgment's going to happen for those who do not receive me. And I want you to notice something here. In the phrasing of this, verse 40, 
Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Are you calling us blind? And they're not receiving this very well at all. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. The pivotal point for mankind is to see their sickness, to see their illness, to see their blindness, to see that they are poor in spirit and mourn it and thirst it. And that's the pivotal point. Pharisees have filled their minds with so many external things that they never see the spirit of their heart and they feel confident before God. And they're saying, hey, we're not blind. We're going, we're doing good. And the fact that he, Jesus said, the fact that you're saying you're not blind seals the deal. But those who can recognize their need, who are poor in spirit, Jesus says, I can provide for you because you see the need. Come to me. But I want you to catch something. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. What does that mean? That means they came into this scene with guilt. Do you understand? We come into this world with guilt. By the fact that we're born self-centered, we stand condemned already. We stand with guilt in our life because we're born with completing, completing heresy or committing heresy against the God who made us and made this world. That is our natural state. As my children, as dear as I may love them, they are growing up condemned. They're growing up condemned. In all the world around us, And in this church body, undoubtedly, there are those who stand condemned. That's their natural state, and the guilt remains unless something happens for them to see their sin, to come and ask for help, come for mercy, and say, God, I need you. I believe that you're my son of of God. And that's why we broadcast the gospel. Do Do you understand that the fact that you don't know where they stand with the Lord, the only thing we can assume is that their guilt remains until we find out different, until we hear different, that your loved ones, your your children, your parents, your brothers and sisters, their guilt remains, that the neighbors you come across, that live across, that you walk with all the days of your life as you're walking in these neighborhoods, they stand condemned that Hodrod Elementary and the families that they do not know Christ, they stand condemned that planters walk stands condemned that that green pines community that all these communities together we stand condemned that's where we are and in our church body i know because i was one of them we can have folks that join our church that do not depend on the mercy of god and they're committed and dependent on their things they do they stand condemned because they they think they are are seeing but they've never seen their blindness enough to come to Christ. The Pharisees walk away. According to Jesus, they walk away with their guilt remaining. I think about the sermon of Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's a powerful sermon. He just read it. He didn't have the changing the tones and volume. He just kind of very monotone read it. It's one of the things that God used to shake up America, the Great Awakening. The shaking wasn't so much to the unbelievers, it was to the believers. You need to understand, if you hadn't got it, when I'm preaching, I'm preaching with the glory of God in mind but also I'm preaching with you in mind. Because I know what it is to be a member of the church, but not be a member of God's family. I pray that God does what I cannot do, that we see our need. We all stand condemned apart from Jesus Christ. Jonathan Weathers read some of what he said are there not many here who have lived long in the world and are not to this day born again is there are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and have done nothing ever since they've lived but treasure up wrath against the day of wrath well sirs your case in a special man- manner is extremely dangerous your guilt 
hardness of heart is extremely great. Do you not see how generality persons of your years are passed over and left in the present remarkable and wonderful dispensation of God's mercy? You had need to consider yourselves and wake thoroughly out of sleep. You cannot bear the fierceness and wrath of the infinite God. And you, young man and young woman, will you neglect this precious season which you now enjoy when so many as others of your age are renouncing all youthful vanities and flocking to Christ? You especially have now an extraordinary opportunity. But if you neglect it, it will soon be with you as with those persons who spent all the precious days of youth in sin and are now come to such a dreadful pass in blindness and hardness. And you children who are unconverted, do you not know that you're going down to hell to bear the dreadful wrath of that God who is now angry with you every day and every night? Will you be content to be the children of the devil when so many other children in the land are converted and becoming the holy and happy children of the King of Kings? Let every one of you that is yet out of Christ and hanging over the pit of hell, whether they be of old men and of women or middle-aged or young people or little children, now hearken to the loud calls of God's word and providence. This acceptable year of the Lord, a day of such great favor to some, will doubtless be a day of his remarkable vengeance to others. Men's hearts harden and their guilt increases apace at such a day as this, if they neglect their souls. And never was there such great danger of such persons being given up to hardness of heart and blindness of mind. God seems now to be hastily gathering in his elect in all parts of the world, and probably the greater part of adult portions that ever shall be saved will be brought in now in a little time. And it will be as it was in the great outpouring of the Spirit upon the Jews of the apostles' days. The election will obtain and the rest will be blinded. If this should be the case with you, you will eternally curse this day. And will curse the day that ever you was born to see such a season of the pouring out of God's Spirit and will wish that you had died and gone to hell before you had seen it. Now undoubtedly it is, as it was in the days of John the Baptist, the axe is in an extraordinary manner laid out at the root of the trees, that every tree which bears not forth good fruit may be hewn down and cast into the fire. Therefore let every one that is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come. The wrath of Almighty God is now undoubtedly hanging over a great part of this congregation. Let everyone fly out of Sodom. Haste and escape for your lives. Look not behind you. Escape to the mountain lest you be consumed. Simple fact is, after hearing the message of the gospel. Every time you hear it, you walk out either with a hard heart harder than you began or you walk out with a heart clinging more to Jesus. Every single one of you will walk out one way or the other. The hard heart, a blind heart, a heart clinging to Jesus. My prayer as your pastor is that you cling to Jesus with all that you've got. And here's the good news. Jesus is already seeking for you. And you will never cling harder to him than he is already holding on to you. Let's pray.